Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Cash's Corner. This week, we're coming at you from Dallas, Texas, and we got a whole bunch of topics to talk about. Jan, where would you like to start? Well, December is upon us, and we got to talk about the January 6th committee and kind of, I guess, its last days now, at least in its current incarnation. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, so we'll talk about that. We definitely have to talk about changes at Twitter, Elon Musk's promise to release the censorship files, for lack of a better term. So we got to we got to talk about that. And then there's these unprecedented uh, protests in China, biggest in 30 years, and and a connection also to to Apple across Twitter and and that. Iran so, and Iran and Iran. Thank you very much. So yes. um, before we get started, I do want to remind our audience that our live chat seems to be getting very lively. Um, so for those of you that aren't tuned in right now, go there now on either the Epoch app or on Epoch Times and Epoch TV and join Cash's Corner live chat. Jan and I will be answering your questions in real time. Absolutely. Oh, we've, we've been having more and more fun on that. Yeah, chat we have. Too. It's good. It's where all the cowboy boots were last seen. So let's start by diving into, you know, these recent, I read recently that in the Epoch Times, of course, that, uh, Adam Schiff has been saying that there may be some redactions uh, related to the, all the evidence that's going to be presented. He said, we're going to release all the evidence, but there may be some scrubbing. So what's your reaction so, to that? I mean, you know, I, I can't help but laugh, you know, when we talk about my best friend, Adam Schiff. Um, we have obviously such a history. And I think what that history has borne out is that when Adam Schiff says something, he's probably lying. And uh, when Adam Schiff says he's going to do redactions, he's covering up corruption or something that he doesn't want out that won't fit his political narrative. And so when Adam Schiff now comes out in one of what he says is the most consequential investigations in modern U.S. history on January 6th that his committee, select committee, ran, and he's talking about redactions. Well, I just remind our audience before we get to January 6th, let's rewind the clock a little to Russiagate. You know, Devin Nunes at the time was chairman. Adam Schiff was the ranking Democratic member, meaning he was the head of the Democratic caucus on the House Intelligence Committee. And, you know, and Adam Schiff has gone on TV for years and said he's had evidence of Russia collusion, but has never proved it. Then he, Adam Schiff, I remind you, was the one who withheld the 60 or 70 some deposition transcripts of government officials and senior officers that we took during Russiagate and didn't want it to go out to the public. And then he said he was in the process of redacting them, which is what took him two years until we at the executive branch released that. And what did those transcripts show? The evidence that Devin and I had put forward. It's what we were relying on, that all these government officials had said under oath that they had no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. And so when Adam Schiff, now fast forward the clock and we're talking about January 6th, when he says we're going to put in redactions and let's remind our audience where we're at, we're in December. This Congress is effectively over in about a week or two because they only have eight business days or so left. They shut down for the holidays. And when we come back in January, the Republicans will have the majority. This select committee, um, just by its definition, that's what a select committee is. A select committee has to be renewed every Congress. This select committee is set to expire. And unless the new Speaker of the House, which is likely Kevin McCarthy for the Republicans, renews the select committee, and he said he won't, this select committee is finished. So what happens to their work? What happens to their data? What happens to all of the information they've collected? And on past shows, I've said, why haven't they released everything? That was the deal I made with Devin during Russiagate. I said, at the time, I didn't know President Trump. I had never met him. 
I had never met Devin Nunes. I had never worked on Capitol Hill. I was a former public defender, former federal prosecutor, former intel guy at JSOC, um, and then stumbled, literally stumbled upon that work. And I said, I'll make you a deal. I'll do this investigation if we put everything we find out, no matter what it is. And he said, yes. Why isn't this committee and every committee in Congress running on that same platform? Because constitutional oversight at the end of the day is not for the politicians. It's not for the Democrats or the Republicans. It's for us. You ran an investigation, show us everything. Don't show us your summary version of it. Show us the documents. Show us the documents from the FBI, from the DOD, from the CIA, from everybody. Show us the internal documents from your investigation. More importantly, release the transcripts of every single interrogation and deposition that the January 6th committee took, including mine. Remember, I was the first one subpoenaed by January 6th committee. I've been calling for its release for, what, a year plus now? Release them all and don't redact them. See, this is the government tactic that they play all the time. And we fought Adam Schiff on this during Russiagate. We would lawfully set out to release a number of government documents. And Adam Schiff would come in and say, oh, no, 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 we have to redact them. And the only reason he was doing that was because the information that we were putting out, i.e. the corruption at the FISA court or the lies by the FBI or the withholding of exculpatory evidence, all of that was not beneficial to the narrative that he and the Democrats wanted to put out at the time. And so he used redaction as a uh, improper tool to shield from America the actual information that we had produced. And I think he's going to do that again in this instance. And of course, you know, the fake news comes in and interviews Adam Schiff and gives him all the time he wants to talk. And he says, oh, you know, we have to review it for personal identifiable information. I totally agree with that. Personal identifiable information, as we call it, PII, that should be redacted. Just saying like so-and-so's name, so-and-so's birth date, so-and-so's social security number, so-and-so's home address, right? We don't want people to be attacked. I've always agreed with that. But if you look back at our work, we always redacted PII. It also adds no substantive value to any part of the investigation, right? It's not like you have to know where said person lives in order to understand what they were saying under oath or what that document says, or that you need their date of birth. It's totally unnecessary. But he's using that as a pretext to say we are going to scrub the January 6th committee's investigative findings and then put it out. He has a track record of saying we're just going to redact PAI, then go in there and redact voluminous amounts of information. The redaction process also, Jan, is something that is an intergovernment process, which actually allows the deep state to manifest itself in places it shouldn't. Well, so this is a very interesting question because can information that the committee has gathered mm -hmm. be destroyed? I mean, is that lawful? Is that, is that something that can happen? Can, or can it only be redacted, in which case it could be just unredacted by the incoming Congress? What's the situation? Well, technically what's supposed to happen is all the information especially on a select committee, is supposed to be available to every member of that select committee. And as we've gone over in the past, it's a farce to call the January 6th committee bicameral, right, with both parties, because the Republicans had chosen the members they wanted on that committee, Jim Jordan and others, and Nancy Pelosi, in the first time in congressional history, kicked them off. And then they brought in people who were as biased as the Democrats were in Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. So the only Republicans that have ad had access to the data and the findings of this committee are those two Republicans who are both leaving Congress, mind you.
they were not reelected. One of them didn't even seek reelection. So has the Republican caucus seen that information? Under the House rules, they have a right to see that information eventually, all of it. But the chair, uh, Bernie Thompson, is a Democrat, and he can change the rules of the select committee because he can just go to Nancy Pelosi and say, hey, this is your committee, and I want to change the rules X, Y, and Z. I want to change the subpoena rules. I want to change the redaction rules. I want to change who gets to see this information while the investigation is going on. And from my understanding, the Republican caucus has not had access to that information. So what they could do, which is what they might do, which is they could just put out whatever information they want from their select committee and say, these are our findings. And they could conceivably destroy everything else. So if witnesses came in and submitted documents, I know I did that. Um, yeah, I couldn't have been the only one. If, if whistleblowers came in and submitted FBI or DOJ or DOD documents, or they gave testimony that maybe didn't fit a political narrative, they could shield that from the public and forget redactions, they could just literally chuck it in the dustbin um, because that is the authority they have right now and the Republican caucus hasn't seen it. The redaction game is one that I'm equally concerned about. The committee hiding information from America because they haven't put it all out yet. They keep telling us they're going to put it all out. It's really not hard to put out. As you know, Jan, you just literally hit send, release, and put it up on a web page for the world to see. It's pretty easy to do if you wanted to do it. But the redactions are what concerns me, because as I said, what's supposed to happen, and me as the former deputy director of national intelligence, you know, adjudicated a lot of these. You as Congress say, hey, these are documents from FBI, from DOJ, from CIA, from NSA, from DOD. We want to make sure we don't divulge any classified information. We also don't want to divulge any information that's harmful to United States citizens personally and directly. So you submit it through a redaction process. It goes to every single agency. That document, that report, that deposition transcript, whatever it is. And that agency says, well, this is my CIA's equity, as we say, in this document. So we want this removed, redacted. Then it keeps going. And then there's a final adjudication, either at Congress or at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Now, look, Congress doesn't have to abide by that but that's the interagency governmental process for redactions. But what I think Adam Schiff is laying up here, is setting up here, is since the executive branch is controlled by deep state actors, as I call them, like I believe at FBI, like I believe at DOD and DOJ and everywhere else, Schiff's just saying, I'm gonna take the black magic market wherever I want, you guys are gonna be fine with it, and I'll put it out in the fashion that I wanna put it out in. Now that jeopardizes Americans' faith in the institutions because what happens when the Republicans go in, look at some of these documents, remove the redactions, and it says the FBI or DOD lied, or the NSA or CIA provided misinformation to the committee. This is the purpose of government oversight. And when you have people like Adam Schiff come in and say, with a track record of making material misrepresentation and lying to the world, that he's in charge of redactions, uh, that should concern everybody and what the Republicans should be doing right now in December, going into January, where they will take the gavels, is writing letters to the head of the committee, Bernie Thompson, and Speaker Pelosi, while she's still speaker, and say, we are demanding every single document this committee has produced in its investigation to be turned over to the Republican caucus immediately. And then their staff can go into it. Uh, no matter what's put out. Say they put out a report, which they said they will. Say they put out all the documents, which they said they will. 
they're going to be redacted. We know that. So at least we have a backstop to say, okay, look what was released in December, and let's fast forward to January, February. Why did you, Adam Schiff, hide this information from the American public? I think that's what we're going to have to get into. Well, I, for one, um, with the knowledge that I've gained after we produced uh, the real story of January 6th, want to see a full and thorough investigation. And I'm actually of your school. I want to know the reality. You know, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. Is the only way to do that, to have to replay this whole thing? Is that even possible? What's your... I think for Americans, for journalists, for investigators, for anybody interested, you know, anyone out there in the cyber world who just wants to know what happened on January 6th, it's very simple. Release all the documents. That's it. Then you don't have to do redo an investigation. You just say, okay, you guys got all of these documents. Now everyone can see all of it with very minimal personal identifiable information redactions, names, birth dates, etc. That's it. Then they can see everything. Now, what the Republicans might find, and I think this is likely so, is that the committee steered this investigation in one direction or another to not uncover certain corruption. Now, if you recall, I don't want to retread this entirely, but it took almost a year to correct the false narrative that the National Guard wasn't ordered into the, uh, the District of Columbia. Well, what President Trump did was authorize them as the law requires two days before January 6th, and we now know definitively that the law also requires Nancy Pelosi, the Capitol Police, and Mayor Bowser to request those guards before they can be deployed. Um, they, in writing, said no to the DOD, where I was chief of staff. It's that type of cat and mouse game that the Democrats on this committee have played during this entire investigation that has caused its entire investigative credibility to be called into question. And so the Republicans may decide that, well, we're going to look at some of those components. Why didn't you focus on the truth and what actually happened and what's actually lawful versus a narrative, you know, to use the word insurrection, as has been tossed around very loosely and I think incorrectly by the media and also a lot of politicians on the Hill, because an insurrection literally would mean that you are hijacking the United States military um, you being the president, to perform a coup of some sort. And I would argue that's logically impossible when the orders to the Department of Defense and the transition in government, which I led into the Biden administration, were do just that. The DOD is to transition power from one administration to the other. That came from the White House. So those two things can't logically both occur at the same time. So Republicans might focus on those two. They might just say, we've had enough. The world's had enough. We know what happened on January 6th. Um, we'll put out all the information and we're going to move forward because as we've covered in past episodes, there's a lot of other investigations um, they probably want to get into. Well, let's jump to this question of freedom of speech on Twitter. Okay. And actually, you know, before we start, let's talk about this, you know, very contentious image that Elon Musk put up of the, I'm sure you're aware of it. There were two pistols, what appeared to be two pistols. Now, here's the funny thing. Okay. When I saw that image, guess what, what, what I noted? Like, this was just off the cuff. The Diet Coke. <laughs> no, but that was funny, too. No, George Washington. I thought, oh, cool, he has George Washington at his bedside. Isn't that wonderful? You know, and, and then I thought about it more about the Diet. Anyway, all, all, all the other elements. But it's interesting what you see in pictures, right? Yeah, so I think this picture, while the picture's uh, interesting for me, I think the response was more... I don't even want to say surprising anymore because I'm just not surprised. 
But there's a, one of the Hollywood, as I call them, limousine liberal elites, uh, responded to that photo and basically castigated Elon Musk and analogized him to, uh, and, uh, and I quote, trailer park simpleton Americans. Basically hating on a large portion of America and saying that because Elon Musk put out this photo with George Washington, Diet Coke, a firearm, and other knickknacks next to his bedside, he is now destroying free speech so much that the only people that can get, you know, get down to that very base level are, as this liberal elite um, said incorrectly, of course, I believe, but he said, because they're trailer park simpletons. I mean, it's just how offensive is that statement and the fact that he's allowed to just get away with it and people are glorifying him for it is, I think, a perfect example of how far we have actually come from free speech because what the left wants, what the radical left wants, is selective free speech. People often have asked me, so what do you mean by elites? Hey, you're elite. What are you talking about? You know, it's like, no, there is this weird mindset that I think is encapsulated in what you just, I wasn't aware of this tweet response, but I, I keep seeing the, the kind of the, those ideas floating everywhere. Like we, we really know, I know better. And these are kind of some kind of simpletons that can't really understand, yeah. you know, what this is all about. I mean, it's, it, it, what a weird, weird mentality to be stuck in. That's what strikes me. It is, and I think it's disgraceful that people who say they are all for free speech and everything America stands for then come in and say, uh, well, not, not, not that stuff, because that, that's, that runs against our narrative. And then for them to be able to define and pigeonhole people who support that photo or what have you and degradate them and compare them to trailer park trash, that's exactly what he's doing. Like, what, is, what is this trailer park trash thing? What a, that itself has nothing is a horrible to do, moniker. It has right? nothing to do like, with anything. It, it reminds me of Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables. What does that have to do with anything? Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of the response was, at least what I saw on Truth Social, um, I'm not on Twitter, but what I saw on Truth Social was a lot of people chiming in saying, I grew up in a trailer park. Why are you attacking me? What's wrong with this photo? What's wrong with this free speech platform? And, you know, that's the response that you get. And it's actually, the, you know, a similar reaction when Hillary Clinton said that on the campaign trail. So Elon looks like he's ready to release, I guess, the censorship files. I mean, I can tell you, I'm very fascinated to find out what he's going to release. I'm deeply interested in this. Yeah, and maybe by the time the show airs, uh, we'll have some release materials. But look, we've always said or, you know, when I say we, you know, when I was on House Intel Committee, we actually, part of our investigation was to look at Twitter and Facebook and other social media and how they had a role to play in whatever Russian uh, conspiracies were going on or whatever maneuvers they were saying. Like, did Russia pay those people, Google, Facebook, Twitter? Did they use bots? And what we found was, yes, monies flowed from Russia to those big companies, and they tried to change the voting landscape. But what we were not able to prove from an evidentiary standpoint, and this is in our Russiagate report, is that we couldn't find evidence that the monies and the bots that flowed into Google, Facebook, and Twitter from Russia changed a single vote. That's not to say it didn't happen. We just couldn't find the evidence for it. And so we knew something was wrong at these companies way back when. And we have been saying it for years that when the censorship started, on Facebook, on Google, on YouTube, on Twitter. Who's making these decisions? 
it's not like some guy is, you know, at the, you know, multiverse station with 15 TV screens and just pushes a button. No, these companies with tens of thousands of employees um, get together and they have teams and they make memorandums and they do analytics and they say, oh, based on this and that and this, we're going to censor you and this person in that group. There's a conversation. There's a decision-making process. And so we had always asked for those documents to be produced. And of course, they were never going to give those up. They're internal findings of a private company. And Elon Musk is now apparently on the verge of or is going to be providing um, that demand. And I think it's causing a lot of people heartache. It's fascinating. And, you know, to the point where, you know, ostensibly Apple is threatening to withhold the Twitter app from the App Store, which is, I mean, it almost like a kind of a weird mental construct. There's so many strings to be pulled here, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll get to Apple and their Chinese overlords in a second. But what I want to, I just want to circle back to what I think we're going to find when these documents come out. Um, I will bet the farm that these documents show a politically based decision-making process in the internal chambers of Twitter and their front office and whether it was Jack Dorsey or whoever was running it at the time to strategically and at specific moments in time censor subjects, peoples, and um, storylines that were not beneficial to a democratic-leaning political narrative. And Hunter Biden laptop comes into play, of course. Now we have a story just out this week that says the person responsible for the Hunter Biden laptop censorship decision-making process at Twitter was no longer there said they got it wrong. Of course you got it wrong. Uh, you didn't research the facts, you didn't care to, you just wanted to establish a political narrative. Well, and there's also this, you know, leaked video from Google after, you know, the 2016 presidential election where you have all these employees and, you know, very high level people and they're talking to each other saying, how could we have let this happen? Sure. You know, so there's this, there's this whole kind of, a lot of the shift, I'm, I'm just to remind our audiences, I don't know, it, it happened after that. It was after this kind of unbelievable shock to the system. Yeah. And Zuckerberg put in 400 million into the um, election apparatus last last election cycle, and we also know that Twitter had a woke department, literally, like they had people who were their employees who were wearing woke gear and espousing woke ideology. Our audience is very familiar with that, but that basically attaches to this radical left agenda. And they were that's fine; they can have those ideologies. The problem I have is they brought it into the decision-making process. And these records that Elon is talking about divulging are going to put these people on blast. Uh, and not just for like one thing, for thousands of decisions. And the left is terrified. You already have, and this sort of sums it up for me, Jim Carrey, a very liberal actor um, in Hollywood, announced this week he's leaving Twitter. Okay, now you're leaving Twitter that the facts are about to come out? but you were okay being on a quote unquote free speech platform when they buried the facts because it favored your political narrative. These guys are the ultimate hypocrites. And it's the reason that Elon Musk's quote unquote destruction of Twitter um, as they see it is I think an integral tool to restore free speech on these social media giants. And you also just saw Facebook laid off 10,000 employees quietly. How did that happen? What what happened to the monster that was Meta?
it's fascinating, you know, I'm just going to mention this. The Truman Show is sort of up there among my favorite films. Oh, yeah, you know, Jim sure. Carrey, right? It's really interesting because The Truman Show, I think, speaks to some of the things that we're seeing in our society these days. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you another example. Alyssa, yeah. Mon- Alyssa Milano, another very famous, very radical left actress, um, <laughs> says she's going to get rid of a Tesla, but go instead and get a Volkswagen. And I mean, if history is, you know, if we're talking history, let's talk history. Volkswagen was the company founded by Adolf Hitler at one point in time. So the, the political messaging just doesn't seem to be backed up by the factual play that they want to make, whether it's Jim Carrey or Alyssa Milano or who have you. Or this is just like a complete, complete ignorance of history. I mean, that, totally. I think that's what that showed more than anything. Yeah. It was just bizarre. But they're using anything yeah. to justify their departure yeah. or their rejection of... SpaceX or Tesla or Twitter or what have you, um, good leap. Like, where, well, hey, Jim Carrey, you're welcome on Truth Social anytime. Same with you, Alyssa Milano. I've been inviting AOC since day one. But it's interesting to see the Democrats to quickly pivot right back to Congress. They are now calling for these, and they'll be in the minority, but they're going to call for these investigations into what used to be their favorite allies outside of Congress, Facebook, Twitter. Google. Now, these folks, the Democrats, are actually calling for investigations into their monopolistic ways. And as you know, monopolies and there's all these antitrust investigations, which are actually unlawful in America. Now, the the Democrats want to break up the tech giants. I just think that is the irony of all ironies. Uh, The tech giants that that the Democrats rode into a lot of offices and a lot of majorities are now the ones that they want to see broken up. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Because it's finally doing what you and I and millions of other people care about, which is allowing for a true free speech platform, a true free speech interface, censorship free. Like I've always said, unless you're committing a crime on one of these applications, you should post whatever you want. I'm not saying these racist groups out there like the KKK and others I'm not cheering for them to be posting. I'm not saying that they should espouse their hatred and their bigotry and their racism. But on a free speech platform, as long as you're not inciting crime or committing a crime, then everybody should have access to it. That's the whole point. Because these companies were launched on that idea, but they never actually exercised it in their, in their daily routine. They politicized it. And what you're seeing Elon Musk do at Twitter is take those actions some 15 plus years later after these companies have become behemoths. And um, I think you're gonna see an implosion in the Democratic Party come next year because they're not gonna know how to handle it. They don't have the majority in the House of Representatives. Um, and what are they gonna do? Outspend Elon Musk, the richest man in the world? Well, and here's the problem. So until not too long ago, I myself, I, I think I would have said I support some restrictions. Like I was thinking, you know, things like maybe Holocaust denial. I don't know, right? I'm just giving, I'm just giving examples of things that I would have been like, okay, let's think about this, right? Sure. But the the thing that's revealed itself to me over the last however many years is, you know, who decides. And whoever decides has the propensity, of course, to exercise that power and weaponize. So what's the solution? Well, the only solution is to to be true free speech, right? It's the only way because otherwise someone's going to abuse it and someone's going to use it to control information. 
And, and that's what, you know, circling back to the Apple issue that you raised, I mean, is Apple literally going to shut down the Twitter app on its Apple App Store because they don't like the direction that Elon Musk is taking Twitter? It's kind of shocking that we're even talking about that. Well, and just two things come to my mind, okay? The first one is I'm remembering this amazing uh, series of commercials that uh, Steve Jobs put out. The crazy ones. Remember those? Mm -hmm. Like, who are these? Are the, the people who believe that they can change the world are the ones who do. It's beautiful. It even gives me the shivers remembering yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. It was such a great campaign, right? Yeah, or, you know, the 1984 commercial, right? Which was, you know, kind of unbelievable. Um, uh, this was. These were the values that yeah. that Apple espoused. This feels feels like a strong juxtaposition to those. But the second thing is actually from what we've learned, Apple phones right now, iPhones and so forth, are restricted in using this airdrop feature. And the airdrop feature, I'll just remind our viewers, is something that was is actually been used by Chinese distance, by these protests. You know, we were gonna talk about these mass protests yeah. that are happening in China right now. They were using that because remember, this is a totalitarian surveillance state. Everything is surveilled, right? Everything is you you try to send something via text. Uh, an AI is already reading it. But with this airdrop, you could be on a train or something and shoot information yeah. to a bunch of people. Just now a, it's restricted. Just a quick tech thing on that. So airdrop, for those people that aren't familiar with it, is only on Apple phones. But as you said, the CCP in China, not only do they censor it, they shut down ways and methods of communication. They can literally shut down whole fa factions of the country, whole TV circuits, whole internet circuits, whole cell phone circuits. So what AirPlay does is if you're allow, if you're near other iPhone users, you literally hit this button and you can send them photos, you can send them videos, you can send them messages. And there's nothing they can do, they, the CCP, to stop that interface because it's from device to device. Now that's a super simplification of it. Mm -hmm. There's I think it's a very good simplification. So. But what it means is you're limiting the Chinese people's ability to communicate when their methods of communication have already been shut down by the CCP. So you, Apple, are participating in this nonsense by the CCP. And let's just remember, Apple lives through the Chinese and the CCP because the phones and everything they make, if you look on the packaging, well, it says, you know, designed here or put together here, everything's made in China. So them, just like Nike, will always go to bat with the Chinese government and the CCP because their bottom line is at stake. Because the Chinese government has the wherewithal to say, we're gonna shut down your factories. We're going to take away your workers. We're not going to allow you to, pro to make your iPhones and widgets here for a extremely low cost anymore. And what does Apple do? They say, okay, what do you guys want us to do? And they're like, shut down the dissidents. Yeah, and there's also this irony, of course, because it is in the Foxconn you know, factories that some of these protests mm -hmm. are actually happening, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I think, a bit of a challenge of our times. Apple, to its credit, has been starting, because I think they've built at least one assembly plant for iPhone 14s, mm -hmm. has already been built in India. I think they're trying to diversify their yeah. their their supply chain somewhat. But, but they could have, look, to, you know, I, I, maybe we can give them credit for that. They could have been doing this 10 years ago. Same with Nike. But I, but I, I, I want to mention one more thing, though. You know, Elon Musk is a bit in a similar situation to Apple, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course he is. With a lot of the, his empire is so big that a lot of his commercial product and production occurs in China. Mm -hmm. Now, he has been one of the guys, you know, 
that has moved that stuff, you know, actually back to the U.S. more than anyone else when it comes to all things SpaceX and whatnot, and been shopping around different states for the best place and venue to have these factories built, whether it's Tesla or what have you. But same with him. You know, the batteries have to come from somewhere for electric cars. Those are getting mined out of Central Africa, places with people dying all the time. Um, cobalt and lithium, that's what happens. That's what you have to mine to produce these batteries. And then someone's got to put together the tech, and that's happening in China. And so, you know, there has to be a global consensus on that. And you have to get the consumers who buy them to say, we're not going to buy it anymore, unless you move. I think this is a huge opportunity because, you know, with these pro unprecedented protests from the last 30 years, if American companies need a reason to reshore, right, need a reason to move their supply chains out, what better reason than to stand on the side of the Chinese people instead of the regime? Well, that, we're, we already know it's a regime that supports three separate genocides, which are ongoing. And we already now know, thanks to the reporting out there, that just to give one example to our audience, they're not tracking, but there was a group of like 10 individuals who were killed. Because as the reporting states, because of the COVID lockdowns, no one could get to them and they were locked in their apartments and were not able to be saved from a building that was on fire. That is outrageous. The COVID lockdowns are an enormous cause of the current sort of turmoil in, in China. And the CCP wants nothing to do with it. They want the lockdowns to stay. It's a way to control the Chinese population. It's a way to control how they maneuver, how they message. And Apple's, you know, them getting Apple to shut down AirPlay is just an additional layer of that. But at the end of the day, the CCP doesn't want the Chinese people to move about freely. So they want the lockdowns to stay forever. And it's now being borne out that they're really not that successful in curtailing the COVID outbreak. No, absolutely. What's really interesting to me, too, is this sort of the juxtaposition of the U.S. response, for example, to the Iran protests. The administration has been vocal, not in the areas we've just discussed, but vocal on Iran writ large and the protest and the killing of innocent civilians versus their deafening silence with what's going on in China and the CCP, even though the same number, if not more civilians in China are dying on a daily or weekly basis. But it's still shocking to me, as vocal as they've been on Iran, they have been silent on the nuclear deal. The one thing that would give the Ayatollah in this regime that's killing innocents billions of dollars again overnight and access to the international banking system, which is what suffocates Iran because they don't have access to it. And let's not forget what the whole nuclear deal is for. Iran wants a nuclear weapon. And if we get back in, the Iran nuclear deal, we are helping them get a nuclear weapon. We are handing our, if not biggest, one of the biggest enemies that the United States has in the Ayatollah and the IRGC, a map and roadway to a nuclear weapon. There's no larger threat a country can pose against the United States of America than having a nuclear arsenal that it can take aim against us and our allies. And so for me, from a national, as a national security guy, that's what's most alarming, that we haven't seen or heard any messaging out of this White House to shut that down. Well, Cash, I think it's time for a shout out. It is indeed, Jan. This week's shout out goes to Dr. Ricky Ingalls 
of North Carolina. Dr. Ingalls, I've been told by your son Steve over at Brave Books, a wonderful children's book company, that you're the smartest man in the world. And I think he's correct. And we're going to be calling upon your talent soon. But thanks so much for watching Cash's Corner every week. And thanks for raising a great kid in Steve. We appreciate the team that he's on at Brave. And Epoch Times certainly appreciates your viewership. And thank you, everybody else who watches our show weekly, who posts on our message board, and who joins the lively chats in the live chat room every week. But we look forward to seeing you next week on Cash's Corner.